Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, cool cats and kitties. Welcome back to Worst hey, Year Ever. Hey, silly salamanders and slithery snakes. Snakies. Wild whales. Nailed it. Perfect. Wild whales and Amazing. willy wallies. Welcome back to the Worst Year Ever, made worse by this fun intro. Uh, if you listen to... <laughs> The episode earlier this week, you already know that today we have an interview. Yes, uh, it is an interview with a couple of activists uh, with a group called No Detention Centers in Michigan. Um, and th- this ties in with you know what we've been talking about, about the coronavirus and, and prisons and why maybe prisons are bad also. It ties in with a lot of stuff. So we hope you enjoy it. So uh, JR, Brandon, you all want to... Uh... You all want to kick us off by kind of introducing yourselves by name and, and, and your organization? Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, Brandon, if you want to go first. Hi, I'm Brandon Johnson. Uh, I'm here with No Detention Centers in Michigan. And uh, my name is J.R. Martin. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm also with No Detention Centers in Michigan. And the like purpose of your organization is, is kind of pretty obvious in the name, but I, I think people don't actually know much about the specific sort of detention center. Um, and you know the, the the term that's used a lot uh, to describe what you're specifically protesting against are, are shadow prisons, and these are essentially uh, areas where the government detains undocumented immigrants, and and because they're kind of seen as temporary detention facilities, they don't have to abide by the same rules and provide the same sort of quality of life things that a normal prison would be required. Is that more or less kind of what what how you describe it? Yeah. And they also kind of are, I mean, as kind of the name suggests, they're very good at hiding what they're doing. So of course they won't ever forward say what you just said, but they're very good at keeping everything they do kind of under wraps. Yeah. And I would just add on to that. I think uh, one issue that we have been just trying to communicate about as much as we can over the last year is that there is a distinction between ICE detention centers and these privately contracted federal immigrant-only prisons or shadow prisons. Uh, so even though you know the name of the group is you know, Detention Centers in Michigan, I think our the, the work that we were engaged in shifted somewhat because the coalition was formed early last year, like in the, in the first couple of months of 2019, in response to uh, a proposed plan for a new immigrant detention center to be run for ICE by this private company, ICA, Immigration Center of America. And that was a proposal for Ionia. 
and it, and so we the the coalition started to to oppose those plans, which were shut down successfully within a couple of months. But then it was just after we heard that, and it was just as we were sort of celebrating that news that we heard that the Geo Group would be reopening this private prison in in Baldwin, Michigan. So we that I think a big part of the work that we were doing for a while uh, in 2019 you know, especially before this crisis that we're in now started, uh, a big part of, of, of what we were doing was just to learn as much as we could about these particular facilities and also try to work against the sort of propaganda that was coming from people who supported this prison in Baldwin and from the GEO group and, you know, from, from people who would say, like, well, this prison has nothing to do with ICE and these protesters are confused because they think it's an ICE detention center, right? So trying to make it clear to people, like first that we know it is a federal prison for people who've been convicted of so-called federal crimes and that we are here to support those people, right? And that we see this as part of a broad abolitionist struggle that incorporates the fight against ICE and against detention centers and against these private prisons and against public prisons. You know, all of these struggles are connected. And yeah, I mean that that is kind of interesting to me because you know, as you say, you're you're prison you're prison abolitionists. Um, but your 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 organization is focused on a very specific you know kind of prison. Uh, why why this focus for you? Like because obviously you had you know there's a number of different organizations that are kind of prison abolitionist organizations in the United States. Why did you pick this fight in particular? So. At least, see, at least for me, we are a coalition, so obviously everyone's got their own reasons. But I see it as the most like militant form of the prison industrial complex is to have private prisons run by a company for U.S. non-citizens. That's like the most aggressive, the most like kind of sketchy way to do it. I feel like you start there and then move inward. That's kind of how I think about it, at least. Yeah, and I think it's also, I, I would agree, and I would also just add that I think for many people around the state, there was just a feeling that with the current administration, there was a need to respond to some specific steps that were taken and a spe- you know, specific attempts to expand this, this particular network of incarceration. So these, like, for example, these, you know, these privately contracted federal prisons uh, were going to be phased out during, like, there, there, were, there was a plan during the Obama administration to effectively and these contracts, which of course was celebrated as a, as a major victory by many people around the country. And then almost immediately when the Trump administration came into power, that was reversed. And so uh, there are facilities that were scheduled to shut down uh, that are now remaining open or places like the, the one in Baldwin that you know two years ago or three years ago um, or four years ago, would there would there would have been no possibility, or it wouldn't have occurred to anybody that they could have opened in this particular way. Um, and this is a facility that has opened and closed multiple times, and that's something that maybe we can talk more about. But uh, you know, I, so I think it was clear to people that there was a need to engage in a targeted struggle against this particular kind of expansion of the of the carceral state. And it's also worth, I think. Uh noting that of like the shadow prisons, this is the only one in the Midwest as of right now. Right. So it's kind of like, if you learn you can make profits off of it, there's going to be more. So you want to stop it before the profits start rolling in. Yeah. It's really interesting hearing kind of strategically how you look at this and you've been obviously very successful, um, at least, you know, comparatively so far, like you, you were successful in getting uh, governor uh, Whitmer to block a contract with uh Immigration Centers of America and stop the um, the construction of that center in Ionia. Um, but, uh, and, and so I, I guess one of the things that I want to ask about that is it, it, it's very difficult to get, I think, kind of mainstream American uh, 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 voters, adults, I, I guess you'd say, to to care about prisoners. Um, like that's that's a tough sell for a lot of people in this country, which is part of why I think it's been very difficult getting much traction in stories about like the coronavirus spreading in American prisons. There's just not a huge amount of inherent sympathy towards people who have been convicted of a crime among a lot of people in this country. You've been successful at getting a lot of folks 
angry on behalf of these people um, and, and against, you know, these these detention centers. How have you gone about trying to spread this message in a way that actually um, catches on with people? Well, I guess one, I, I, there, there are a couple of points that I would want to make there. The first sure. is just that, you know, unfortunately, it was, there, there has been a, a very recent announcement that we are struggling to keep up with and respond to right now, which I don't know if Brandon already mentioned this before I came on or, or if you were, you had heard this um, already, but there, there's actually a new proposal for a detention center in Ionia. Yeah. From, right. So, and that, that's just something that we've just been aware of in the, in the last couple of weeks. So, and, and, you know, unfortunately it's a, it's a different situation. It's uh it's private land, so there's not the same, you know, the, there's not exactly the same way to uh, to have it shut down. But we'll, you know, we'll we'll check out everything that that can be done to fight against that. And with respect to that question about sympathy for incarcerated people, I think that's a really it's a really important question. And I think um, there are I think we've been starting to see that the COVID nineteen emergency has just been a reminder for so many people that prisons and jails and detention centers are just not safe for anybody and were never safe and have always been an emergency. And so I think as people continue to hear about all the suffering and all, and, and all these people who are affected, I think for at least some people, there has been a kind of growing awareness of like the particular violence that incarcerated people are are subjected to and so i think this you know what we're we're still going to see how this how this plays out and and what the you know long term effects are but i think this has been something like a a wake up call for for many people about what has always been a crisis yeah and i, I think um What's been we've been able to do recently uh, is connect with prisoners inside, you know, the North Lake Correctional Facility where this prison is, uh, and kind of hear like have, have some recorded calls that we've published on our website, and they seem pretty powerful. Like they're talking about what they're going through, and I think that hearing like a voice attached, it's not just like a group of people. It's like a person with a soul and mind and all that stuff. Kind of carries that out. At least I hope it does. Absolutely. And we've been in touch, you know, increasingly over the last few weeks with family members, too. And I think, if it, you know, it may be, I, I, I think absolutely, as Brandon said, like hearing somebody's voice and hearing them talk about what they are experiencing makes it very difficult to pretend that this is not, you know, a person, right? And, and I think people understand uh, when we think about family members, too, that we, I mean, I think incarceration affects so many people's lives in so many direct and indirect ways. You know, I think people, when we, when you really get down to it, you know, everybody has some degree of experience or, or knows somebody who knows somebody, right? And I, so I think uh, when people hear those, those, those voices and those stories directly, and when they hear more about family members, like particularly in the situation that we're in where it's so difficult to get information and, and family members and loved ones are just desperately looking for, you know, for details on what's happening in Baldwin. I think people, people, you know, have to, have to see that that's, that that's real and, and, and really painful. Can we, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's happening there? I mean, you, you just now you mentioned this, inability to get information and details. And I'd like to hear a bit more about that. Sure. So it is uh, a Federal Bureau of Prisons facility. So it's, it's operated under the authority of the BOP. And the Bureau of Prisons has a uh, so-called coronavirus resource page at, with, with, a, with a map, that, like an online map that's meant to be updated every day with information on people who have tested positive, staff members and incarcerated people at facilities around the country. And because this is a privately contracted facility and like as a perfect illustration of, uh, as you said earlier, the way it's called a shadow prison, 
because it's because of the you know because of the nature of this facility, it does not appear on on that map. Um, so there, we've we've heard from multiple family members who have been really confused, right, and really alarmed by this because they are told that this is that, that, that this information should be available, and and especially also since there are we know that there are people who have been recently transferred to this prison in Baldwin who have experience at several other federal facilities. And like one thing we've consistently heard from them is that this, this place is the worst that they've ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also know that, that, you know, even, even considering the, the lack of transparency and the appalling conditions that I, that I'm, I'm sure are prevalent throughout the system. Right. We, like I, we know that, that people are, had expectations that their loved ones, uh, you know, who, who had previously been at other facilities that, that they would be able to sort of get access to some of the same information mm-hmm. they've been getting. And that, and that's now, that's now impossible. And from what I understand, there are known cases there, at least among the staff, but they are not admitting that there are actual cases. And that's contrary to what prisoners themselves are saying on the scene there. Right. So the Geo Group, the company that owns and manages this place, they have been releasing information on staff members who have tested positive. And the last that we heard that I'm aware of was in an article in the Detroit Free Press that was published yesterday. And uh, that article had the number of staff members who tested positive at 14, which was an increase of five since last week. Um, when, when there was a, another piece that we've seen that had a number. So the geo group has, has been for a while releasing those numbers. They've known about staff members testing positive since the first week of April. They have consistently refused to release any information on incarcerated people who've tested positive. So the only way we knew that there were incarcerated people who had tested positive for the virus was that a reporter at the Michigan advance who has done a lot of really great and, and, and you know, helpful work. Um, she was in touch with the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. And he had heard on April 20th from them that nine incarcerated people at North Lake had tested positive because the GEO group had reported those numbers to the health department, even if they hadn't shared them with anyone else. And since then, the health department has said that they don't have the staff or they don't have the capacity to keep up with this situation. So they, they, they've said that all questions about prisoners who have the virus or have tested positive for the virus should be referred to the facility itself, which of course, you know, the way things are now means that those questions aren't going to get answered. So Mm -hmm. there was one source that we had for, you know, confirmed up-to-date information on incarcerated people at North Lake who had tested positive, which we no longer have. Oh, that's so upsetting. Yeah. I, I think it's worth bringing up, too, that, like, this is all happening in Michigan, which is currently not doing super great uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the national coronavirus situation. And, you know, the thing we hear a lot is essential workers. Essential workers are the only one that should be out. And it makes you wonder, like, well, is having this prison run by a company something essential like is that are we glad that we spent a lot of effort making this happen so that now when a pandemic the pandemic is happening we're all dealing with that right so. with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details like many of us you might think identity theft will never happen to you but consider this There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats 
even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. So, I mean, y'all are in Michigan, and I assume some of our listeners are, but a lot aren't. So one thing I'm kind of curious about, like, if we're trying to, because I I think it's important, I think what y'all are doing is important. I also think it's important to push for a larger and kind of more expansive nationwide prison abolition movement. Mm -hmm. If we have people sitting here you know, doing some Googling as they listen to, as they listen to this, trying to figure out what in their own state, uh, like what kind of detention centers are open in their own state. Um, or if they're, they're wanting to just push against private prisons in general, like, do you have any recommendations for how folks can kind of get into this sort of activism? Cause it's, it's tough, you know, it relies a lot on like one of the things that's been difficult about getting stories from inside prisons during this outbreak out is that, they have so much control over the people in them. So it's it's hard to to reach people inside. It's hard to like form those kind of uh, bonds of solidarity and get their stories out. Like, how would you recommend folks who are interested in, you know, contributing to this movement uh, get started, you know, especially if they're, you know, not in Michigan and can't um, actually help y'all directly? So I guess uh, the first, my opinion is first start local. Look and see yeah. what prisons are around you, what organizations are around you. Uh, like I found this group just online one day, just happenstance, which is nice. After I had moved to Michigan, I grew up here, but I went away and came back and then found this group by chance. Um, but it's worth knowing that like, okay, you can go online and the biggest private prison companies are the Geo Group and Core Civic, and You can read about them, find out if they're around you. Um, the Industrial Workers of the World has an organizing committee called the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. And they have chapters. I'm not. I'm not like part of the uh, organizing committee, but they have a, you know, a website, and they can direct you to resources. That's another way. Um, especially since we can't really go outside, I feel like the internet and like finding local groups is the best way to do it, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm also not officially a member of the uh, uh, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, but I have so much love for IWOC and all. all the you know the the organizing work that I've that is that I've seen them do and the people who are um, involved in that. So I would I would agree that that's a wonderful resource. And I would also just say that in terms of study and and context and learning about abolition, there's so much history and and so many um, people who are like everyday uh, making this information and and these struggles you know accessible to to people uh so like just yesterday there was an interview on democracy now with wilson gilmore um who talked uh, uh about the you know the, the abolitionist struggle in california and around the country and specifically uh responding to to covid 19 and in an abolitionist context um there are people like Miriam kaba uh who was uh prison Prison culture is, is her handle on Twitter, and just like the amount of work that she has consistently done, like I, I uh, you know, based out of Chicago I, for a while, I, she may live somewhere else now, but just you know, she, the, the the amount of knowledge that like she and other abolitionists share online every day and uh, is just like really really amazing. Also, churches, um, not all of them obviously, but in our group we have a lot of churches who are against this prison and so you never know you might find some and that's a good resource i think that's a good way to connect 
Totally. I think, uh, yeah, this whole conversation is very interesting. I, I think it might be good to spend a moment just talking about uh, abolishing prisons in general. I think that some people might not know that much about it. Uh, you know, the idea of we look to other countries like Sweden, who has a really excellent prison re- uh, prison situation that's based in rehabilitation and, and everything like that. Is that what your goals are? Like, I think I would see a major goal as just to reframe the conversation about incarceration and about punishment yeah. and ab- about responding to violence um, and just to, to, you know, acknowledge this, uh, this, this, this understanding and, and continue a conversation about how prisons do not solve these problems of violence. They, yeah. like, as Angela Davis said, like prisons do not disappear social problems. They disappear human beings. Um, so yes. I think, you know, particularly, particularly like in the U S there's just such a tendency to, um, imagine that that incarceration is the answer or that um as you know as as one of you was saying earlier like that, that we don't have to worry about people right once they are in prison or that like if, if if somebody is incarcerated then they deserve whatever they get or you know that 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 the problem is solved and i think it's just you know so clear in so many ways that that this is not the solution and then that the mm-hmm. are not solved by, by locking people away. But I'm, I, always so, so, I'm sorry, Katie. Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say, I'm just always blown away by, you know, it's very easy to forget about prisons in our day to day life. It's very easy to be distracted by everything else that's going on. But when you stop and look at it and you think about it, uh, and you know, just from my own personal experience, knowing people that have been in, in and out of the prison system, how little it does to help them, the effect that it has on families uh, that lose people to the prison system, uh, what that does for their income, how being in a prison environment often uh, exacerbates problems. It it leads to, you know, more violence. There's all sorts of stuff that, that people just don't have the time to think about, and, and it frustrates me. Right. It's um, In this country, at least, I know we have this, like, huge amount of prison facilities and huge amount of money that's involved. And it's kind of one of those situations where, you know, if you have a nail, how's it go? If you, if you have a hammer, every problem's a nail. And so, you know, you read about how the mentally ill you're treated, you read about how minor crimes are treated, you meet about, you read about how all these things are treated. And of course, if you have a large amount of prisons, that's where people are going to get put. And that's kind of, I think, a thing people should think about is that, you know, if we expand our prisons, the prisons we build today might hold you tomorrow or your loved ones, you know, um, because if they're there, they're going to get used, especially if they're run by corporations who are trying to make money. Well, yeah. And in some cases, they're required to be used. Like that was a big thing, not just in Arizona, but I remember it specifically in Arizona where like they had a contract with the state to keep the prisons at a minimum level of occupancy. Um, right. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that's hardest, you can you can get, I think, almost anyone, at least anybody who's kind of liberal on the left and even a lot of conservatives on board with the idea that like prison reform is necessary. But once you start talking about prison abolition, um, I think like the first questions in people's minds is they're going to imagine, you know, uh, OK, well, then you're talking about letting serial killers out on the street. Then you're talking about letting letting out murderers and all these violent people. And, like, what about all these people? that that we believe need to be in prison. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, there's a couple of tactics I can think of for sort of dealing with that off the bat. Number one, to just emphasize how rare those kind of crimes are and how often uh, incarceration actually contributes to people who weren't violent criminals uh, becoming violent criminals. Um, but I'm curious how, you know, in, in since this is something y'all spend a lot more time thinking about and doing than I do, um, how you approach answering that question for people. So. This is just kind of how I personally view it. I don't know if even JR would agree with me or if, you know, everyone would. But I see there to be a qualitative difference between a prison that houses the few amount of people who might be like serial killers or, you know, that kind of example you were giving versus what we have now. And I almost Mm -hmm. like I'm getting a little wishy-washy here, but I almost wouldn't call that a prison like it is, but so functionally different from the system we have now 
that I don't consider them kind of the same institution. And I don't know if that's like academically correct, but that's kind of how I think about it. Because if you look at the majority of the incarcerated population, they're not really fitting that mold. And so I kind of think like maybe we need an entirely different institution set up if you need that kind of institution. I would just add to that, um, you know, there, I'm thinking of a really great comic. Like there's a, there's a, there's a sort of abolitionist, there's an introduction to abolitionist politics uh, with Miriam Kaba that's in the form of a comic. And I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but she talks about how she has been confronted with this question so many times, right? This question like, well, what do we do then with the so-called violent people? Or how, you know, how, what, like, what, if we, if there are no prisons, then, then what do we do with those people? And she talks about how she has stopped responding to that question or, or just like, the importance of reframing that question. And I, I know there are, there are other abolitionists who, who talk about that, who say like, where is that violence happening now, right? Or like people who commit violence, do we actually believe, it is, is it actually our understanding that prisons end that violence when we know that, you know, people who have, committed sexual assault are the president, right? Or they're like on the Supreme Court or they're everywhere. And that, and that, that violence is getting not, you know, it's not, it's not getting, uh, it, it's, it, it's not a problem that's being solved. It's simply being relocated when people are, are put in prison and it's getting intensified, right? And like, we, you cannot talk about serial killers or, or sexual violence, I think, without also talking about the like the the mass death and the mass sexual violence that prisons themselves are responsible for, right? Like sure. the US system is a serial killer, and the U.S. prison system is a factory for sexual violence and other forms of violence. You know, and I think reframing the question in that way uh, is is a really crucial step for for like thinking about how an abolitionist response is, in, it, it, you know, I would say in so many ways, like the only response or the only solution to, to these questions. Yeah, I, I think that's very intelligent, particularly because, I mean, it, it, the thing you're fighting here is less people's entrenched um, ideas about what should happen in a prison um, and more people's entrenched and entrenched, I think, by the media, particularly like fictional media more than anything, entrenched ideas about what crime is in this country. I mm -hmm. think in general, the picture people have of, of crime in America is it might be the thing that the average person is wrongest about, even including like climate change into that uh, into that bunch, um, just because of you know, cop dramas is, is kind of where I would lie a lot of the blame. Mm -hmm. um, but I, there there is. One of the things that strikes me is like the real titanic struggle here in terms of making progress on prison abolition is is informing people proper to, properly of what what violent crime really looks like in the United States. And I think you're right. When you do have an accurate picture of that, you realize that that prisons are factories for creating the kind of crimes that people fear. I mean, you have people going there, let's say, for 10 years. They're put into this prison system under the understanding that then they will be released back into society because they've paid, you know, served their time. But they're being injected into a system that is inherently violent, that also probably has has access to drugs, to all sorts of different things that they're supposed to be moving away from. And then they come back into society. And I feel like there's a really compelling case to be made that that's, yeah, increasing the violence in our society we're not giving people tools to survive in the real world. We're just reinforcing what they already know. Absolutely. And, or introducing people that aren't violent into that world of violence, you know? And then I think another thing we're fighting is that, you know, there's the ignorance about what crime is and also about what the prison population, what the incarcerated population is dealing with. And that actually matches up with a lot of geo groups like messaging and propaganda is, you know, it's don't look here, we're doing fine. We have this great new innovative system. Innovative is a fun word they like to use. And then, you know, we get messages from the people inside. Uh, one we put up on our website recently was, oh, there's a guy who's like coughing up something and they just left him in a cell for five hours. And you don't really hear that in the media. You don't really hear that uh, when you're talking about, do I want to keep this person in prison under my tax dollar? Like, is that how we want to spend our resources in life? Um, 
And I don't think most Americans think about that because prison's a way to take something that is, they make it not their problem and then don't think about it. Yeah. And I think it's up to us to kind of take responsibility. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. Can we do one more thing before we move from the prison? I know a lot of the people we've been talking to have asked us to, like, say what's been happening in the prison. Can we just, like, give a narrative of what we heard? Yes, please. please. Yeah. So for a long time, we knew that more and more people were coming into this prison in Baldwin. Uh, and and we were just looking for ways to, to get in touch with them and support them. And we were we first heard uh, in early March from a relative of somebody who had recently been transferred to the North Lake prison. Uh, She was very concerned for her relative's safety. Um, She said that whenever she had talked to him on the phone, uh, not, not that many times, but whenever she had heard his voice since he arrived in Michigan, she just knew that something was wrong and, and she had not heard him speak like this before. And so we, sort of gradually got more details about this group of 10 to 12 predominantly black men in this prison who had been rounded up and put in the special housing unit, which is a restricted housing area that's cut off from the general population. Um, so they, there, you, you know, this, the, there had been a, a sort of general climate of, unrest and violence uh, inside this facility. And there was a particular incident in, in early March where a one, one prisoner was, was jumped by some others or there was a fight. Um, and none of the black men were actually involved in that situation. But the warden's response was to basically round up almost all the black people in the prison and put them in the secure housing unit. And he told them that this was supposedly for their own protection, but they had not asked for protective custody. Um, You know, many of them had no idea what was going on. They didn't know why they were being put there, why the prison staff were coming into the the kitchen and the barbershop with their guns drawn and with mace to, to lock everybody down. And in addition to that, since being put in the, in that restricted, in that restricted unit, they, you know, they also had their, privileges restricted or like some of their ability to to use the commissary and to to get on the phone and things like that those were restricted as if they were being punished for doing something wrong as if this had been like disciplinary confinement um so and they 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 have been there and so this was this was a a, a situation that that sort of predated the the covid-19 emergency we we started hearing about it in early march and they've been uh, in that restricted unit since then. 
they've gone on hunger strike uh, two separate times um, within the last month or, or month and a half. And they were demanding, you know, first of all, just an explanation and, and a response to what they under, what, what they, you know, very directly uh, perceive to be racist repression and just the fact that they're in this unit in the first place and also demanding, you know, increased access to the, to the shower, more phone time, better food. They've talked about how appallingly inadequate the food is. And that's something that we've actually heard throughout the facility. So it's, it's bad in the, in the secure housing unit. It's bad throughout the prison. The food is just not good. Um, but so they were demanding food, better, better food as well. Um, There's and, also limited water access. If I can jump in, they were complaining about that. If I remember a lot of limited water access. Right. Yeah. And that was actually, that was, that was a, that was a uh, tactic that the warden had also used to retaliate against people who were on hunger strike. So the, the first time there was a strike, um, there was one person, there was one participant in the strike. Uh, the warden, basically the way the warden got him to end the strike and to start eating again was to restrict the water access in his cell. And that was just around the same time that the warden had learned that there were cases of the virus in the prison, right? So at a moment when everybody is supposed to be washing their hands as much as possible, the warden made this active decision to restrict somebody's access to water. And that, that person also told us, like, even in addition to that health concern, the main reason it was a, a problem for him was that he's a practicing Muslim. And so he needed more frequent access to water to be able to engage in his religious practice and to bathe before praying. Um, but what we know that shutting off the water was something that the warden also did, not just for that person, but for other participants in the second hunger strike. Um, and that was well after there were confirmed cases of the virus again. So we had been, since we found out about this, doing as much as we could to support those people who were on a hung hunger strike and to spread the word about it. And I think it's because of a couple of articles that were published about that hunger strike that people outside, you know, family members and others found out about our group and found out about how they could reach out to us. And so that was what sort of ultimately led to us having more contact with people in the general population. And, it's, and that, and like that communication has been getting, has been continuing to grow in the last couple of weeks and it's been getting more and more urgent, right? Because of what's going on throughout the prison with, with COVID-19. Uh, thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's pretty bleak. It is very bleak. And this is just one, one prison, you know? I, I mean, you're hearing horrifying stories everywhere. I, <laughs> um, and we'll yeah, play very daunting. some of the, um, the audio that you have recorded from the calls, because that's pretty, um, pretty heart-wrenching stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. I... As I mentioned, I do have a non-prison question that we could keep in or not. I'm just curious for your thoughts. Um, Governor Whitmer was mentioned earlier, and I'm just curious to know from citizens uh, of that state to – I'm curious what you think about her because we're hearing her name a lot. You know, she's being floated as a potential VP, and I think it's fair to say that a good amount of this country and our listeners don't know that much about her pre-coronavirus uh, – and it's easy for somebody to look good compared to Trump right now. And I, I just would uh, value your insight into her. Sure. Yeah. Well, I can share something if Brandon has a response as well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that the non-prison question. I, I, I'm sorry if that was, you know, a very long digression before it. But <laughs> no, not at all. That's what you're here for. I'm just curious while I have your attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely. So I would say that my feelings about the governor are really complicated or that it's a, it's a very complex situation because it's very clear that there are fascists and reactionaries in Michigan who are organizing and who are taking advantage of this moment to grow their capacity and to show up in public, right? Because they are not embarrassed about showing up in public and they're exploiting that that opportunity to 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 organize and that's really scary and something to fight something for everybody to, to mobilize in response to and it is very clear that 
they are naming the governor and and you know singling her out in in very specific ways and so i i think it's important to re- to respond to to you know to 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 that organizing and to and just to, sh- to shut it down in whatever ways we can i also am i also think it's important to avoid uh, a sort of immediate response to that dynamic, which I think is really tempting and very understandable, right? To, to present the governor as someone, as, as a, as a, you know, as, as a sort of heroic opponent mm-hmm. or, 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 or someone who is. Yeah. We're, we're at this point in our country where someone who like does a basic minimal level of responding to, of like, tr- of taking science seriously and responding <laughs> to a virus is able to yeah. like, people kind of can get on board with them without really thinking about like, okay, but if, if the comparison wasn't the guy who's in charge of it all, like would this right. look so good? Well, also we're in Michigan. Our last guy poisoned Flint's water. So like, yeah, our bar yeah. is pretty low. So there's you know? that. So, so <laughs> yeah. you know, listeners, just this should all be reinforcing in you. It's a great time to get into politics. You can actually kill <laughs> a lot of people and still be doing better than the folks before. So really, you know, anything goes now. That might not be the. Is <laughs> that the tagline? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I think all of that is is right, and I think about about Governor Whitmer. I would I would just say, you know, like, like who knows what it feels like to be singled out by the president of the United States, right, for criticism in the in the way that 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 she has, and I think that's a that's a real concern and i i understand that that people would would have a lot of sympathy for her on that and i also just know that there are people in michigan who have been begging the governor to take action and release people from prison and and that yeah. hasn't happened you know yeah. so i think uh it's, it's it's a very complex thing to 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 deal with because there is much more that she could have done specifically on this issue of incarceration in Michigan. And I think we're watching the effects of that inaction play out mm-hmm. in real time. Sure. There's also a, a simultaneous issue of like, I know you guys had an episode on tenant unions and stuff, and there's tenant movements ha- happening in Michigan right now. And we kind of want her to, you know, maybe waive some rent, but that hasn't happened yet either. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, that's a, that's a really, I'm really grateful for that reminder. Like I have friends who are, are in, like closely involved in organizing, you know, for for tenant tenant unions and for a rent strike in in Michigan. And I know that's that's another that's another area where people are, you know, trying to apply as much as much pressure as, as they can. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that. That's some interesting insight. Uh, She's not going to be leaving our news cycle anytime soon, I don't think. But, you know, be paying attention. Yeah. Well, that was everything I had to ask. Katie, do you have anything else? No, I think that covered it. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, guys. This was super informative. Yeah, we really appreciate your time and, of course, uh, your activism, the actual work that you're doing on the ground. Thanks for your work, too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for for talking with us and... uh, I, I really appreciate the the questions and, and the opportunity to think about some of these things together. If our listeners wanted to help with what y'all are doing, um, is there a place they could donate to kind of further help further your efforts? I, I, I don't think that there's a that there's a way for people to donate, you know, directly to no detention centers in Michigan at this time. Or like we're not. Uh, I don't think that we're necessarily asking for donations in that way. But I guess I would. You know, just after thinking about it for a minute, I would, I, I think in response to, to that uh, very good question, I would just say that finding your local mutual aid network, like if people if people in Michigan or, or beyond, you know, are, are thinking about ways that they can support financially, you know, there, I, I, I know that in Michigan and, and across the country, there are mutual aid networks that have been growing over the last month and that they are, you know, in so many cases responding to some of the same or to some like directly overlapping issues with like 
state violence, uh, experiences of incarceration, experiences of of uh, racist violence, and 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 you know, and and the the violence of everyday life in capitalism, right? So I think uh, in addition to like emailing us and checking out our website, if people are interested in um, in supporting in that way, then like the Grand Rapids Area Mutual Aid Network is is the local one that friends of mine are involved in, in, in Michigan. And I, I, I know there are other groups like that, um, that have been springing up more and more everywhere. That website is no detention centers, mi.org. Uh, if you get there and there's a cool picture of people standing in a light, you'll be there. <laughs> Perfect. Um, please, uh, keep us updated on things there. I'm sure we'd all be very curious to, to hear what happens and we'll be following it as well. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks so much for listening, guys. That was our interview. You can check us out online at Worst Year Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, thanks for listening, you uh, neat uh, nematodes and cool coelacanths. You little loveys and doveys. You charismatic coelacanths. Coelacanths. <laughs> you microcosmic mateys. Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.